Let's pray. God, there's just um, so much going on, not only in the world, but in personal lives, um, even here at the church. And sometimes it can be hard to sift through and navigate through the um, busyness of life. I pray that you would allow us to slow down today. In this moment, that we would slow down. That we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, may we truly, truly, truly encounter your presence through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our small group started the book of Peter, 1 Peter, last week. And while we started 1 Peter, it became challenging to us um, really quickly. And what became challenging for us is, I guess this is all free here. I just want to read you 1 Peter 6 and 7. First Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, pro uh, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In all this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Many of us have had to face grief in all kinds of trials. There's people within this room today who are facing grief in all kinds of trials. And often what ends up happening is when we're facing grief with these trials, when we're facing any kind of trial or tribulation, we first say, God, why me? Why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this to happen to me? What can I do to get out of this? What did I do wrong? Anyone ever been there? Participating, right? We've been there. It frustrates us. And all that we want to do is try to figure out how to navigate out of the situation that we're in. But what's interesting here is verse 7 tells us that these trials, that this grief has come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what this is telling us is God has allowed something, this grief to come into our life because it's creating something within our faith and our relationship with him that is far greater than gold that will uh, result in praise, honor, and glory when he is revealed. So I just want to say there's hope today in your trial. God is cultivating something within you in your grief. And we can trust him in that. Amen? Amen. Now I share that because 
Today, in Ephesians 3, we're going to be talking about Paul as a prisoner. As we're trekking through the book of Ephesians, Paul is a prisoner. And while Paul is a prisoner, things don't seem to be going his way. But what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to keep a good attitude the whole time. Paul is going to have a biblical attitude the whole time. So I don't know about you guys, but being a Christian can be really hard. Even when you're around other Christians. But it, get, it gets harder when you're around the world who doesn't believe what you believe. Amen? It's really fun to be a Christian in here. But then you step out of here, and then you go out into the world or your workplace where they don't have eyes to see, where they could care less about what's going on, it gets really hard. When they start to pull you into their conversations and their thought processes and their gossip and um, debauchery, debauchery, all these things, right? So what often keeps us from living the way we're supposed to live is the fear of people. The fear of how people will treat us. Yet what we will see today is Paul loved God so much that he didn't fear man. And his lack of fear for man and his love for God led him into a place of being in prison. So today we start with Paul being a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So point one, we're just noting wherever you want to note it is, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus. I've heard so many Christians, myself included, complain or grumble about being a proverbial slave or prisoner to Christ. Anyone ever been there? You read the Bible and you hear Paul talk about, well, I'm a slave to Christ or uh, we're slaves to Christ. Cool, great. We don't know what that means necessarily. But the challenge of it means, uh, the challenge of it comes, we, what we often do is we say we're a slave to Christ, and when we say this, it's because life isn't going our way. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul isn't saying he's a slave to Christ because life isn't going his way. Paul is saying he's a slave to Christ because he's truly a slave to Christ. So, I've heard so many Christians, I'm going to just read it. I've heard so many Christians complain or grumble about them being a proverbial slave or prisoner for Christ, though usually it has nothing to do with where their obedience has led them. It is more often to do with their life not going their way. So when our life doesn't go our way, we just say, my life stinks because I'm a slave to Christ. Being a slave to Christ means that we're obedient to him. Not that life stinks or is hard. Paul was a real prisoner. And this was because he preached the gospel. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. I want you to remember... Paul wrote this letter while he was a prisoner in Rome. If we remember a few years ago, we went through the book of Acts. And in Acts 21 and 22, Paul was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel during Paul's time 
had consequences. And you and I really don't understand these consequences like he would have. What consequences have you faced for preaching the gospel? You know how deep that question goes? If you truly think about that question, you have to say, well, have I even preached the gospel? Or if you have preached the gospel, what does that mean? You no longer have a friend? Or people unfollowed you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? Paul had greater consequences than someone not being his friend anymore. There were many times that Paul um, had 40 lashes minus one. There were many times that Paul was beaten and abused, left for dead, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, right, abandoned, hungry, thirsty, famished. Why? Because he was a slave to God. He was preaching the gospel. Nevertheless, preaching the gospel during Paul's time was different. See, in the West, though things are changing, we still have freedoms. But many countries around the world are making examples of those who preach Jesus daily. If you lived in another country, would you boldly live as a Christian? If this country no longer allows religious freedoms, will you boldly live as a Christian? Many other countries are making examples of believers. Prison, jail, crucifying, beheading, beating, raping, separating from their families. Are we a slave to Christ? They're preaching the gospel. I want to mention this quickly and directly. I think that we are not prisoners or slaves to Christ if we are silent about our faith. Amen? I didn't hear any amens. I really mean that, and that's why I said that. I believe that scripture, if we are silent about our faith, I do not believe that we are slaves or prisoners. That's a really hard word, and I know I'm stepping on toes. My toes included. If we are silent about our faith, I don't believe that we're slaves to him. See, it was Paul's vocal belief in Christ that is what caused him to be a prisoner to the world. See, the, Jesus is a stumbling block. So because Jesus is a stumbling block, then what ends up happening is when Jesus is presented, the world rejects it. So Paul preached the gospel and because Paul preached the gospel, the world said, we don't like this, we don't want this, we're gonna put you in prison. So it was because Paul preached the gospel that man put him in prison. But it was Paul's obedience in being vocal that is what caused Paul to be a prisoner to Christ. Amen? Paul's obedience to God about being vocal and making disciples then led him to the place then of the world hating him and putting him in prison. 
Yet what is interesting about what Paul had to say is he didn't say that he was a prisoner of Rome. He didn't play the victim in this situation. Paul said that he was a prisoner of Christ. This meant that Paul was able to see that God was using the situation he was in for good. God was allowing this for good. I think this is why we see um, the church growing in other nations because they're willing to preach the gospel. They love Jesus. I think Americans love Jesus too, right? Of course we do. But in other nations, they're living outward. They have an outward faith. They're meeting in caves, understanding that if, if they get caught, there's consequences. So other nations are growing because they're vocal for their faith. They're unabandoned with their faith. But here is, um, in the West, it's often easy for us just to come to church and worship and then go home and say that we have a silent faith. We want to be a believer in uh, the West and live for ourselves. How many of you guys want to do that, right? God, I want to be a believer, but I also want to live for myself. We make statements that our faith is a personal and private thing. And I would say that's a lie. Because I believe that our faith is only, um, yeah, that it's meant to be private, but it's only what happens in our private then leads us to go share the gospel. There's a private aspect of our faith. But in the West, what we like to do is say, this is just for me. This is my faith. So we go to work, and since it's my faith, we don't ever share it. The private place with God then leads us to share the gospel wherever we are. So unfortunately, most people are afraid of the outcome of representing God publicly. Paul wasn't afraid to live for Christ. And when things didn't go his way, he chose to find the good and God in it. So I just wanted to look at um, what he says in Philippians. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul's saying, hey, look, because I preach the gospel, this is where I'm at. Where are you guys at? I know this is a little bit passive. I'm not being, I'm not trying to be like mean. It's just a thought that comes to my mind. Where are you at? Because you preach the gospel. Have we preached the gospel to anyone? And I was talking to um, some friends recently, and while we were talking, one of the conversations that ended up coming up was, sometimes church people are just church people. They're hard to deal with. Anyone ever dealt with a hard-to-deal-with church person? Anyone sitting next to a hard church person? <laughs> if you are married, raise your hand. And while we're having this conversation, what's going on is they're saying, sometimes church people are just so hard to deal with. 
And it just feels like the people, my, my friend groups at work who are of the world, they're more accepting and they're more loving and, and they're more inviting and they're easy to be around. Anyone ever feel that way? That your, that your work friends, they're just sometimes easier to deal with than church people. Anyone? So then in this discussion, the question was asked this. Well, have you shared the gospel with them? Have you shared the unashamed reason for your faith with them? And the statement was no. And I said, well, that's why they're more accepting to you. They're more accepting to you because the clarity of the gospel has not been presented to them. And the moment that you make it clear about sin, sin uh, and sin is real, heaven is real, hell is real, Jesus is the only way, they're no longer going to be your friend. Amen? Now, I hope that they will. I hope that they are gracious and kind enough. But what's interesting here is what Paul is saying is because he preached the gospel, this is what has happened to him. And the whole point of what I'm trying to get at so far is this, is we can't be afraid of the proverbial prisons we can't be fearful of these prisons. We have to be willing to preach the gospel. Amen. And when we're willing to preach the gospel, even though the prisons might come, that's when we can say we're a slave to Christ. But if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not obeying God, if we're not living for him, then we can't say that we're a slave to Christ. So Paul says that his imprisonment was used by God for the evangelism to unbelievers, and to strengthen believers here in Philippians. What he was going through was beneficial for everyone around him. And this is unique to me. Because here in Philippians, also in Ephesians, Paul doesn't blame God, and he doesn't blame people. Paul wasn't a victim. I put all my chips in the Bible. I put all my chips in Jesus. They are. That's where I put my life. I believe it. But sometimes these things are really hard to understand. Sometimes they're hard to comprehend. God, I just don't think it works that way. But sometimes when we put all of our chips in, we just have to say, God, help me see. Help me understand this truth. And the truth here that's going on in Ephesians and Philippians is this, is to be a slave to Christ means that we follow him and we obey him. We're generous people. We operate in the fruits of the spirit. We desire to be with him. And then one of the hardest ones for most of us is we share our faith with the world. God, help us see that we need to be willing to share our faith with the world and not be fearful of the proverbial prisons. Amen? Amen? I lack what Paul was feeling. Um, this isn't because I don't believe the words of the Bible. It's because I'm believing some kind of lie that preaching the gospel is something that's not for me. We've all, we've all believed I'm not educated enough. Well, it's one thing to say you're not educated enough if you live in a third world country that's never had a Bible. 
Amen? We have Bibles. And I think the average household of just one person has like seven Bibles, let alone the kids, the spouse, and everyone else. We have Bibles. So since we have Bibles, what's your excuse? Well, I got to work. I got to take the kids to soccer and gymnastics and football and 4-H and FFA and PTO and track and the movies and sleepovers. And then I have to do the laundry and, 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 and. And what we end up doing is we and our way out of a relationship with God. What God wants is our first fruits. So an excuse that we cannot have is that we do not have time to know God's heart. He is the first thing we are to pursue. I'm sorry, your just. Please do not hear me pointing at you today. Anytime I say your or you, it's also me, okay? So our, I'm gonna try to use our, but you know I have trouble talking. So your, so our, our reasons and our justification that we present to God, that we will present to God one day, are gonna burn up. There's no excuse. You might be able to justify yourself to the person next to you. You might be able to rationalize why you don't have time for God with the world or with me or with your friends or your small group or your accountability group. Fine, go ahead and justify it. Make excuses. But one day when you face him, you have none. Now, fortunately, we have the blood of Jesus, right? I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching works today. We have the blood. But this guy was willing to dethrone himself from heaven and come down to earth to live as a human. Somehow fully God, somehow fully man. But he dethroned himself to come down here to live as us. To live perfectly, to be faced with every temptation, to feel everything we've ever felt to die on the cross for us. And what we then say, I'd much rather send my kids to soccer today. AAU. Well, you know the statistic, like, I obviously love sports. I coach sports. I believe in sports. There's a lot of good things in sports. But it's this and then 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 this. As Americans, as people, we need to somehow find a way to simplify our lives that he becomes number one. Amen, or the laundry's just gonna have to go another day. Yeah. Flip them. <laughs> God wants our hearts today. Uh, you guys have heard me share this before. Um, you know, when you break horses, you break them, and that means they're going to listen to your every move. And you've seen flighty horses where, you know, they, they get flighty over anything, right? But what a broken horse does, a horse that's been trained to listen and obey its master, it'll run into battle with arrows, with weapons, with loud noises. 
It'll do it because it trusts and it's willing to obey the master. I think it's scary to say it, but I want to be broken for God. I want to be broken for Jesus. I just want to trust him into the battles of life, into the challenges of the world, and just say, I trust you. I don't want to be mad at the goads that he puts around me. I just want to trust him. Amen? So what Paul is saying is he says, hey, look, I'm a prisoner of him. And far too often what we do is we put the blame on situations in life rather than saying we're obedient to him. So Paul didn't blame God or blame people. I want this mindset that Paul had. In what was this very dark moment of Paul's life, he was in prison, he had a godly mindset. So what was the mindset of Paul the prisoner? Verse 2, Ephesians 3. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made, no, made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not made known to people in generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. So Paul, who is unjustly in prison, Paul was just serving God, preaching the gospel. What doesn't he write about? He's writing the Ephesians. What would your letter be about? If you were wrongly in prison today, what would overflow out of your heart? I promise you I wasn't speeding. I wasn't doing it. You can go get the CVS cameras and it will prove to you that I was not speeding, I was not texting, it didn't happen. Go talk to this attorney. Help me, let's get out of here. Will you bail me out? We would be looking for ways to escape the wrongful imprisonment. Amen? Don't you think we'd be doing that? Yeah. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people are doing that at, at this moment. While they're in prison, they're figuring out how to prove that they need exonerated. But Paul, who was unjustly in prison, doesn't talk about how to get exonerated. He doesn't talk about how bad the food is. He doesn't talk about how badly he's being mistreated. He doesn't talk about how hard the bed is or the worms or the guards being mean. Why? Because though he was physically bound, he wasn't spiritually bound. And some of us in here today aren't uh, physically bound, but we're spiritually bound. Why? Because we think that we're slaves to Christ and we're not preaching the gospel. Nevertheless, though physically bound, he wasn't spiritually bound. He was set free. God give us eyes to see like Paul. Listen, we make so many big deals out of matters that have no eternal value. We need eyes to see like Paul. Paul wasn't focused 
on how the world failed him. Paul wasn't playing the victim because he wasn't spiritually bound. He was focused on what God was up to. That's why in prison he doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. Rather, he says he's a prisoner of Christ. But if Paul wasn't thinking about how he was being mistreated, what is Paul thinking about in prison? When you, and this is why Philippians tells us to think about all these godly things. Paul's putting it in play. He's practicing the things of Scripture. So what was Paul thinking about? He was thinking about the grace that God has shown him. He didn't have the woe is me attitude. He didn't seem to have bitterness within him. Actually, what I see Paul is displaying is gratitude. Paul had gratitude. He's thinking about the grace of God. He's thinking about the revelation that God has revealed to him. So tomorrow, when you go to work and Susie took your parking spot, and for the past month you've been really mad at Susie and you want to write her off, just practice what Paul practices. Right? Just practice. Don't be mad. Just think about all the eternal good things that you have. God, thank you for your son. The parking spot's irrelevant to me. God, thank you for your grace. The last Dorito out of the vending machine is irrelevant. Paul wasn't bitter. Do you know how different the world would be if we were people who had gratitude? This only comes when we ask God to give us eyes to see. God, give us eyes to see today. There was a uh, study done recently um, over the past couple years where there was a certain item. Well, we've all been there, right? There's, uh, what, the way that they studied these people is they connected some electrodes to people's minds, and then they had them go look for certain items in a setup pantry. They allowed them to look through the pantry first to become familiar with it, so it wasn't just like you had to go find it. But essentially, they gave them time to go look through it and say, here's where the peanut butter is, here's where the spaghetti is, here's where the marinara is. So what they did is they allowed them to go look, and then once they felt comfortable, like they knew where everything was, they then brought them back, and then they said this, I want you to go find the spaghetti sauce. And they studied hundreds of people, so then the person would come to look for the spaghetti sauce, and they couldn't find it. Men, we've all been there, right? <laughs> I guess, sorry, women, you don't have to listen because this, this has nothing to do with you. You always know where everything is. So in this study, they would send both male and female at independent times, and they say, go find the peanut butter, go find the spaghetti. And what they started to see is, there were times when people couldn't find the peanut butter and there were times that people couldn't find the spaghetti. They couldn't see it, but it was right in front of them. Even after looking where it was. Now here's what they determined. When, um, based upon brain activity, when they said go find the peanut butter and they didn't see the peanut butter the moment they thought that they knew where it was, their brain told them that it's not there. So because their brain told them it wasn't there, no matter how long you looked, you couldn't find it. 
The brain is a powerful thing that God has given us. So they couldn't find it, they couldn't find it, they couldn't find it. And then what they ended up doing is they bailed out of the activity and they said, I can't find the peanut butter. The person who's doing the study is like, it's right in front of you. If it were a snake, it would have bit you. And they say, how could I not see it? Well, what's interesting is likewise our brain, when it comes to being, having gratitude, when it comes to um, seeing things um, positively, what we do is when things don't go our way first, we act like it's never gonna happen. And we've conditioned ourselves to not see the good because all we want to see is bad. So God, give us eyes to see today. Similarly, many Christians can't see all the good in their life to have gratitude about because their worldly life hasn't gone their way. Their minds have told them that good isn't there. And that's, what Roman tell, that's why Romans tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Paul was able, able to sift through all the mess and see the good things in his life while in prison. Now, some of us are in some kind of health prison or relationship prison or financial prison, hard prisons. But if Paul can be in physical prison and have peace and joy, what I believe is the Spirit of God inside of us can empower us to have peace and joy in our proverbial prisons as well. Amen? So do you need your perspective changed today? I want a perspective like Paul. So what was the message of Paul, though? So Paul, um, he had a, mind, a good mindset. He was also not a prisoner of the world, but he was a prisoner of God's. So what was his... Um, what was his message? Verse 6. The mystery that is through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises, or in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So here's Paul's message. It was clear. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is found in Jesus Christ alone. And the gospel, and in the gospel, there are boundless riches of Jesus. Unlimited riches in Jesus. And Paul continues in verse 8. Although I am less than the least of, the, of all the Lord's people, the grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So Paul, while in prison, says part of his job was to make known the mystery that was hidden in times past. So what I wanted to do is look at this mystery that he was to make known, his message. What is this message that he's talking about what is this mystery? So there's the mystery. There's mis many mysteries throughout the Bible. I just wanted to mention a few today. A part of the mystery that he's talking about is the mystery of godliness. Uh, Jesus appeared and brought true godliness. So the mystery that Paul is preaching is, hey, Jesus is coming, and he's going to bring godliness to all of us. We see this in 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, 
the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He, meaning Jesus, appeared in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels and preached among the nations, was believed on in the world and was taken up in glory. So the mystery of godliness was revealed in Jesus. The mystery of all knowledge and wisdom being in Christ is what Paul was preaching. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where do we get the treasures and the mystery of knowledge and wisdom? In Christ. We spend time with him. The mystery of the body of Christ. Every believer, despite their past, Jew or Gentile, share in the promise of Christ to be in one body. That's really cool, right? Amen. Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery of Jesus living in us. Jesus lives in believers. We should be excited about that. Colossians 1, 27. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is Paul's message while in prison. He's making known this mystery. Just a couple more, because there's a lot. The mystery of the bride of Christ, Ephesians 31 and 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. The other ones that if you want to study on your own time, the mystery of the transfiguration, 1 Corinthians 15, the mystery of restoring all things, Ephesians 1. And there's so many more. But Paul was not trying to get exonerated, but because he was a slave to God, he was trying to share the good news. So the reason this mystery was revealed, and this is our last point, Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in, heaven, in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the once hidden message in God has now been revealed and spread worldwide, addressing both the earthly and heavenly realms. God uses the church to showcase his wisdom to the heavenly realms by redeeming sinners. By us being redeemed, that speaks to the spiritual realms that Jesus is in control. Amen?
So God uses the church to showcase his wisdom to heavenly realms by redeeming us, by us living as witnesses, by us testifying to God's grace, by us testifying to his transformative power, by us testifying to his eternal plan, by us testifying to his ability to bring blessings from hardships. So are we testifying to him today? Are we speaking, are the words that come out of our mouth only affirming the evil that's in the world? Or are we standing guard and speaking truth about who God is and what God is up to? So today we have learned that Paul's message about Jesus was the reason why he was in jail. Believers around the world today are facing consequences because they are preaching the gospel. Yet in America, here's what we preach. We preach opinions. We preach politics. We preach sports. We preach money. And we preach all these things more than we do Jesus. And you say, Joey, you're being mean to me. I'm being mean to me. And maybe I'm not being mean to me. I think scripture's uh, trying to set us up for truth. Trying to set us up to be free. And I just want to ask you, rhetorically, what do you talk about the most in your life? Not what do you think about. Again, um, there was a time in my life that I was much heavier than what I am now. Almost 30 pounds heavier than what I am now. But when I looked in the mirror, guess what I saw? 18-year-old me. I saw 18-year-old me when I looked in the mirror. So then when I saw 18-year-old me in the mirror, guess what that meant? I could justify the extra brownie. I didn't have to go work out. I could shove in all the fried chicken I wanted. I didn't see it. There was one day, it was Valentine's Day, Macy took a picture of me with my cheesecake. I was sitting in a high chair like this with my cheesecake. And when she sent me the picture, or when she showed me the picture, I said, hey, who's that? She said, I just took that of you. That is not me. Let me see that again. That is me. Sometimes as people, we think so much we think so much about Christianity, and it's not even that we think about Christianity so much. Sometimes we think so much about the problems in our life and we want God to solve them. And sometimes we pray, but so often we think about God solving our problems or thinking about where the world's headed and that we wish that God would do something. It's like we think about things and then most of our day, we think about things, and then we insert God in there somewhere, and then we go to church on Sundays. So then we think because we think about a lot of things and add God there and go to church on Sundays that we're really obeying him. Sometimes we can be the Joey who's way overweight and doesn't recognize it. And I just have to say this. Have we made the Bible too easy for us? These are questions that I ask myself, that I talk to Macy about. I'm not preaching works. I'm just saying, what does it mean to be a devoted believer, a devoted follower to Christ? What does the Bible say a devoted follower should look like? And I know I'm not um, making friends today by preaching this. I talked about money, and then now I'm talking about 
um, hard things in Scripture. What does the Bible tell us a Christian life should look like? And as I read through Ephesians 3 today, I, I hear about this richness of a relationship with God, this peace that Paul had, this positive mindset that Paul had, but I also see someone who was willing to bring up Christ's name wherever he was. Are you willing to bring up Christ's name wherever you are? We already talked about not having excuses. You have a Bible. So today we've learned that Paul was a prisoner in jail and the believers are facing consequences. But we are preaching the wrong thing. So today I plead with you. I truly plead with you to consider this message today. But will you be like Paul? He was one who cared more about his relationship with Christ than he did his own life. Do you care more about your relationship with Christ than you do your own life? He was one who was willing to find God in every situation. When you leave church today, something's not gonna go your way. In your pattern, in your mind is gonna tell you to act a certain way but will you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Paul was willing to find God in every situation. You know, like, I don't want to get a flat tire today. I don't believe in karma at all, right? But if I get a flat tire today, praise God, you kept me from an accident, right? Praise God, you wanted me to see this bald eagle just swipe through the wind and do some cool stuff, right? Praise God, I get to sit here on the truck while Macy changes the tire. Don't I have a great wife? <laughs> I had to find my one this week. Paul was willing to find God in every situation. Paul was a person of gratitude. Paul was a person who spent enough time with God that he received revelation from him. So I think that the key today is this is many of us can't imagine living the life that Paul lived. That is because we don't have the revelation that Paul had. And I believe that um, Paul, obviously a man, Paul, human beings, you and I, right? God loves us all. We're all invited into the body. I believe that um, after the Damascus Road experience and Paul repented of his sins and he had eyes to see again, Paul chose to be obedient. You and I don't need that revelation today. We have it in the written word of God. We have everything we need to know. So we don't have to wait for Paul's experience. We can choose to follow him today. But Paul, after that experience, the only difference between Paul and believers is this, is Paul obeyed God a lot, and we justify why we don't have time for God a lot. So today, if you feel like there's more to your walk with God, but you can't see it, today's the day to ask him for revelation. Today's the day to ask him to help you um, be a slave to him and him alone. Let's uh, bow our heads.
God, um, we want to be slaves to you. I pray that your revelation would come to us today, that you would give us eyes to see. Help us be slaves to you, Father, in school, in work, in our family, in our friend groups. Help us know how to prioritize our schedule. Father, may we just be people who um, are hungry and thirsty after being uh, hungry and thirsty after spending time with you. May we be slaves to you. And just keep our um, eyes closed. Just want to say is, um, is there anyone today that says, God, I just, whatever it takes in my life, I want to follow you like Paul. Is there anyone today? Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Father, just with those hands raised, just the um, admitting that whatever it takes, they want to follow you. Pray that you're, um, you would answer that prayer. Bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.